Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. You can make money the hard way becoming a bullfighter or save money the easy way with Xfinity Mobile. It sure beats making money as a human cannonball. Now through March 21st, learn how existing Xfinity customers can get a free line of unlimited intro for a year when they buy one unlimited line. That's hundreds of dollars in savings on your wireless bill. Visit XfinityMobile.com today. Restrictions apply. Xfinity Mobile requires Xfinity Internet. Reduced speeds after 20 gigabytes of usage per line. Data thresholds may vary. Welcome to the Smirconish Podcast for Independent Minds. It is time for Mark Halpern, who is the editor of the Wide World of News newsletter. I'm a paid subscriber. You should be. He graces us with his presence every week at this time. But this week, quite a challenge, because here's here's the gauntlet that I am laying down for Mr. Halpern. Oh, boy. Can he address the so-called Big Four, which today he talks about in the newsletter, the debt ceiling, government shutdown, reconciliation and infrastructure and keep it interesting for all of us here we go this is mark halper michael i can do a lot but asking me to perform a miracle on a wednesday is a little challenging but we can try i'm so into this because i don't know what you made of the jim tankersley piece in the new york times over the weekend where he essentially said it's all on the line for the biden administration in other words they got to get all this stuff done or he didn't say it this way, but the administration's going the way of Jimmy Carter. Yeah. Presidents have four-year terms, but history shows you got about a year and a half at most to get really big stuff done domestically. And the tact that President Biden, working with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, uh, has been, let's roll it all up into two big bills after the COVID relief bill that already passed. The infrastructure bill, which has passed the Senate, waiting to pass the House. That's one of the big four. That's a bill that deals with so-called traditional infrastructure, bridges, roads, airports, but also broadband and the environment. And then this larger bill that liberals would like to be $3.5 trillion or more, but it's going to be smaller than that. And really, it's not too much to say that those two bills represent uh, the remaining mega agenda of Joe Biden. Now, whether they pass or fail, he's not going to not do anything the rest of his presidency. But again, history is pretty clear. This is his opportunity to get big stuff done, and, and it's entangled those two bills, again, one on infrastructure, one on social spending, the environment, and other measures, with these two other more t- bills that really have to be dealt with. One is to keep the government from shutting down. That affects people, uh, social security checks and, and the ability to go visit a national park, et cetera. But it also impacts, but there's also the, the, the need to raise the debt ceiling, which is an accounting matter, but that's very important for the full faith and credit of the United States. So these are four legislative items that have to pass through Congress, two must pass or the government shuts down and we default on our credit, two must pass if you're a Democrat and you want to see the Biden agenda go forward. And it's all coming ahead right now. Uh, In the next, you know, four weeks or so, and in some cases sooner, we're going to see Congress and the president deal with these things, remote from the real lives of a lot of Americans, you know, in terms of their day-to-day thoughts. 
But these are four things that will have a huge implications for America, for the Biden presidency, and for the, the sort of the images of the two parties and, and their principles and their, their kind of roadmaps of where America should go. So let's talk for a moment about those two infrastructure bills, the 1.2 and the 3.5, the traditional and the so-called soft or human infrastructure. Speaker Pelosi has promised the problem solvers, uh, Josh Gottheimer, Brian Fitzpatrick and others, that they will get a vote on the 1.2 by next Monday, the 27th. Meanwhile, you've got the AOC wing in the House saying we're not going along with that unless we know we're getting the 3.5 package. How do you see that resolving? This is a really interesting fight, and, and part of why the press is so, and insiders and people like us are so fascinated by these current battles with the big four is most of the time you and I, if we sat and talked, we could figure out, well, here's how this is likely to end. It is unclear how these fights are likely to end. They're really, you could talk to everybody involved and you would come away not knowing on, on the question of this infrastructure bill. Uh, what the president is going to try to argue today at the White House, what Speaker Pelosi and her deputies have started to argue is, if you'd like to see the president's agenda go forward, you, we know you're disappointed if you're a progressive that the infrastructure bill and the, the so-called reconciliation package is much larger, $3.5 trillion effort. We know you're disappointed that they're not on uh, arriving at the station at the same time, but we got something here in the station right now. It's this traditional infrastructure bill, and we need to get it passed. The progressives say it's not happening. If I had to bet, I would bet that the progressives uh, lose here, that some of them vote against the bill when it comes to the floor on Monday or maybe Tuesday, but that the president and Speaker Pelosi hold enough of them. They get enough Republican votes uh, to, to pass it. Now, I should say, I work on this issue as part of my work with No Labels, an organization dedicated to two-party solutions. And this bill is one of the best two-party solution bills we've seen in a long time. And that's also a major part of Joe Biden's agenda. Speaker Pelosi yesterday did a real pivot. And if you're a student of her or a student of this process, you had to watch in fascination as she moved from saying, you know, basically, we're going to keep this linkage. We're going to vote on both bills at the same time to saying, yeah, you know what, we can't vote on them both at the same time. We tried to make the larger package available to be voted on fast enough. We couldn't. She made this promise to have the infrastructure vote on Monday. And I think in the end, as I said, I'm not sure how it's going to end up, but I think that in the end, they're going to get enough votes to pass this. And it will be a very big victory for the country for bipartisan two-party solutions and for starting to address some of these long-festering problems that have kept us from being competitive and safe. Mark, what is the concern? Help me get into the head of AOC or Bernie. What is the concern that they have if the 1.2 is passed Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? Is it that now they think the wind will no longer be at their backs for an infrastructure bill because people will say, both within their own caucus and certainly among Republicans, we've already done infrastructure? Well, we've, and we've already spent a lot of money. Look, Democrats are a house divided, and Speaker Pelosi and the president and Chuck Schumer have done an extraordinary job. I think it's in some ways unprecedented, the coordination between the Democratic president, the two Democrats in Congress who had their chambers, trying to keep everybody coordinated, trying to communicate, trying to keep the agenda on track. But there's, there's some unsplittable things here. Joe Manchin, Kirsten Sinema, some more moderate Democrats in the House, they don't want a bill at 3.5. They think it's too much, that the taxes associated with it are too much, that it could be dangerous for inflation. They're a small part of the Democratic Party in Congress. But because of the narrow margins, no margin of error in the Senate, they need all 50 votes, no uh, margin beyond a three-vote margin in the House, they, they, have a, they have the power to bring everything to a halt. And they've exercised that power. 
not for personal ambition as I see it, but because they just disagree with the direction that, that these spending bills would take the country. And they'd like to they'd like to see some changes from the original proposal. I think right now the, the, their leverage is working because they've got this vote on this first bill. And what AOC and Bernie worry about is that once the, the traditional infrastructure bill passes, the ability to get these moderates to play ball on a larger package with social spending, education spending, environmental spending, et cetera, is going to be minimized. And that, that package will either not pass or will pass at a much reduced amount than they think is necessary to address the serious well, uh, concerns they have about the country. That's a solid answer. I get it. In a word, leverage. But I, I appreciate the way that you just framed it. If I'm Joe Biden, I imagine no matter what it is I'm saying in public, I want this win. I want to sign into law and hand over my shoulder the pens in a very traditional sense to R's and D's responsible for coming together on a $1.2 trillion package. It's the right thing politically. It's the right thing substantively for the country. And, and it lives, allows them to fulfill a campaign promise, which is not a throwaway line. Right. That the best way to address our challenges on a range of issues is through two-party solutions. It's happening, of course, at a time when, when you see the ultimate partisan conflict over this issue of raising the debt ceiling. And so it's a real juggling act thematically and, and sort of interpersonally for the president to say, hey, let's work with this other party, which is, in the view of Democrats, trying to destroy the full faith and credit of the United States. These are happening simultaneously. It's part of the drama and, and interestingness of what's going on. But it's not just that the president, quote unquote, needs a win. It's that if you're going to govern, you got to pass stuff. And, and this bill is something that he's gone around the country extolling the virtues of. The change in the last 24 hours, as, as we talk here, starting on, on, on Tuesday and extending into today, is Speaker Pelosi and the president are basically changed on three points. They've dropped the fiction that the infrastructure, that the reconciliation package, that spending package is going to be $3.5 trillion. They've acknowledged now it's going to be lower. They've dropped the fiction that it's going to be ready by Monday, the date of the promised vote on the traditional infrastructure bill. And they've started to whip the vote. They've started to speak directly to House Democrats to say, I need you to vote for this. We need you to vote for this. We need you to pass this when the vote comes on Monday. So Speaker Pelosi can hold the vote as she promised and that they can get it passed. And he can bank a very significant substantive accomplishment for the country and for two-party solutions. So does he, I'm going to go back to something you said a moment ago, does he or does he not, the president, require a win? Because in the wide world of news today, you have that Iowa poll which shows him significantly underwater. You say, look, Iowa might not be as purple as it's been represented to be in the past, but you know, 62% disapproval in Iowa. What significance do you draw from that, if any? I actually think it may be the single most significant poll that's come out in the Biden presidency measuring his his, his peril. Uh, Iowa is, you know, has been a battleground state. Joe, uh, Joe Biden and Barack Obama won it twice. Uh, Donald Trump won it handily twice, so it's certainly moved more red. But the numbers there are very dire. The pollster there, Ann Seltzer, who you know is was pollster I worked with when I was at Bloomberg, very, very solid pollster. And so... The problem, there's a paradox here, the president, quote-unquote, needs a win because his poll numbers are down. The problem is, the reason his poll numbers are still not down further is because he's still got extraordinary support from the Democratic Party, including progressives. And so what the president and Speaker Pelosi and Chuck Schumer need to try to pull off is pass this infrastructure bill in the House, but don't alienate progressives so much that they start to say they disapprove of the job Joe Biden is doing. You see that on immigration. He's not pleasing either the left or the right with his immigration policy. If on his on his major legislative agenda, 
he's displeasing both the left and the right, you could see his poll numbers go lower. So can he get a win with a bipartisan vote on infrastructure in the House and sign that into law and not alienate the progressives in Congress and around the country? That's the challenge. Because if you're going for a political win, you better make sure your poll numbers go up and not down. And I, I'm not certain he can be confident that that will be the case unless he can convince progressives that this is the right vote at the right time for the country, for their constituents, and for the party. Yesterday, British Prime Minister Boris Johnson was in the Oval Office with President Biden. Johnson answered two questions put to him by British press, and then this unfolded. Roll it. Uh, interrupts or uh, unbalances the, the Belfast Good Friday uh, Accords. That's the uh, Belfast Good Friday Agreement. That's that's the. Okay, what what are we listening to? What is that? Well, the rules for these photo ops are not always clear, and in this case, uh, Boris Johnson wanted to take questions from his press corps, from the Brits, and he took two. The president did not want to take questions. Clearly, his aides didn't want him to take questions. He's not directly addressed this, uh, in any substantive way the, the, the tragedy in Afghanistan where children were killed by the United States accidentally. He's not addressed the crisis on the border in any detail and, and a range of other issues. And look, as I wrote in Wide World of News this morning, you can shield a presidential candidate pretty well whenever you want uh, if you can get away with it. You cannot shield the president indefinitely, nor should they try. It's not in the public interest. This isn't about ganging up or beating up the president. This isn't about the media needing content and to be catered to. This is about accountability for presidents of both parties. Donald Trump took a lot of questions. He didn't always answer them directly. He didn't always answer them honestly. But he still took questions and gave people the ability to judge for themselves the nature of his answers. This president is, is doing that some days. Republicans overstate the extent to which he takes, doesn't take questions. But he really, he really has gone a while now without addressing some serious matters because the White House doesn't want him to address them. They'd rather he try to stay on message on what he wants to talk about. But that lack of accountability, I think, history shows eventually catches up with leaders. And, Mark, leave us with a 30,000-foot view. How's he doing? I mean, how would you, at, at this juncture, the, the start of fall of, of 2021, how would you assess the Biden administration at this milepost? Well, he's, he's he inherited a lot of challenges, but nothing really that surprising. I mean, you look at Afghanistan, you look at the border, you look at the, the pandemic, you look at the economy. These were all things, you know, that were knowable. There hasn't been some sort of bolt from the blue uh, that has really, you know, sort of reshaped the agenda. And on all those issues, I think you can see some successes and some failures. Uh, but but in, in, in his poll numbers going down, in his inability to find common ground with Republicans, except perhaps on immigration, on infrastructure, and, uh, and in, in um, trying to set a, a clear agenda on particularly, uh, particularly on on kind of his projection of his theory of the case on how to lead the country. I think I think right now is is, is the low point of his young presidency. I want every president to succeed. I hope that he finds a way through this current thicket of challenges. Uh, but but there's some policies like on immigration. I think most particularly uh, like on trying to get the unvaccinated vaccinated. Where I think you see a lot of analysts who wish him well, wondering. You know, are they are they repeating the same mistakes over and over and expecting a different result? So he's had successes and failures. I think it's a low point right now. And and let's hope he has a very, very successful fall. Excellent report, as always. Thank you so much for that. I hope folks are subscribing to the wide world of news so that they can get these insights each and every day as I do. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Michael. Talk to you next week. 
You know, Mark mentioned immigration a moment ago, and I, I want to just pick up on a thread from Brian Stelter's newsletter, Reliable Sources, today, talking about the thousands of Haitians and other migrants who have poured into this encampment in Del Rio, Texas, with some seeking asylum. I assure him the I assume the POTUS audience knows exactly of what I'm speaking of. You've you've seen these images of desperate migrants facing the brutal Texas heat. They've come a long way. They're setting up makeshift camps under a bridge using whatever materials they can. And then you've also seen the images of men on horseback, customs and border patrol. You've, do you know what I'm, I'm referring to, oh, TC? I think everybody knows what you're referring to, Michael. It's hard to um, miss those images. They're, they're, they're horrifying. The president said that violence is unjustified, and he also said yesterday we will get it under control. Uh, but Stelter points out that the video that aired across the networks last night shows the situation far from being under control and that the viral nuance, the viral narrative is nuanced. That's what I mean to say. In, In other, other words, words, there's something else going on, like we're not seeing the full picture when we see what's happening. OK, sorry to make you the guinea pig, but what what is it that you're seeing in those video images? Uh, what What are the Customs and Border Patrol individuals doing? They are reaching down and grabbing at migrants and like pulling their shirts so that their shirt, they're like grabbing at their shirts and leaning off the horses and trying to wrestle them in. Are they whipping them? Okay, I know a little too much. Okay, then you're the wrong person. I'm the wrong person. Mm. But that was absolutely the first narrative that came out was like it was the Wild West and there were whips involved. There were not whips involved. So here's the way Stelter captures this. Heightened attention was placed on the situation when there were reports that Border Patrol agents were whipping migrants seeking to cross over the border. But that viral narrative turned out to be more nuanced than some initial reporting and social media commentary suggested. As the Washington Post noted in its story, quote, contrary to some reports, the agents in the images were not carrying whips, but were seen swinging their horses reins. They did not appear to strike anyone. The Post also noted that, quote, the Border Patrol typically uses horse mounted officers to access difficult or roadless terrain and at times as a crowd control tool, not unlike other law enforcement organizations. CNN described footage depicting this incident like this, quote, video shows the officers at the water's edge twirling the long reins as migrants cross the border at the U.S. shoreline of the Rio Grande. Then, as the law enforcement officers attempt to corral the migrants, one of the officers appears to whirl the horse reins near one of the migrants. Stelter says, I noticed that some major news orgs like the New York Times have appeared to omit reference altogether to the allegations that Border Patrol agents were whipping migrants. Instead, that paper described the aggressive tactics and use of horses as crowd control instruments at the scene, as well as profanity shouted by one agent to a migrant. Stelter goes on to say, I have also seen some people suggest that the nuance regarding whips is irrelevant here, but it really is not, says Brian. Reporters who engage in online commentary and news orgs have a responsibility to convey accurate depictions of events to audiences. It's hard to look back on some of the coverage and think that was the case. Let the readers and viewers come to conclusions based on the facts. I agree with him. I like the way he encapsulated that, the initial narrative that got out. Look, those Customs and Border Patrol agents are in an untenable position. 
right? I mean, they, they've got to be firm. Obviously, they shouldn't be whipping migrants, but they're not, is the point. The Smirconish Podcast for Independent Minds. Listen to Michael Smirconish live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124 or anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. You can make money the hard way becoming a bullfighter or save money the easy way with Xfinity Mobile. It sure beats making money as a human cannonball. Now through March 21st, learn how existing Xfinity customers can get a free line of unlimited intro for a year when they buy one unlimited line. That's hundreds of dollars in savings on your wireless bill. Visit XfinityMobile.com today. Restrictions apply. Xfinity Mobile requires Xfinity Internet. Reduce speeds after 20 gigabytes of usage per line. Data thresholds may vary.